Well, I hope you got your skating shoes on this morning because I'm going to boost into this. Father, help us, Lord, absorb what your Spirit would want us to say, uh, what you want to say to us through your Spirit. And I pray that, Father, you give us attentive minds and speak to us. In Jesus' name I ask it. And all the people said, Amen. Today I'm going to talk to you in the third of our series called Family ID. Family ID, because there's a whole bunch of weird ideas about what families are. We've had the second, uh, two series so far, this is the third. But for those of you who are now not, um, you're not married or you don't have um, children, I want you to listen carefully because this is actually going to be describing what God is like. So there's two angles to this. So I want you to listen very carefully and hear what your heavenly father's like. Many years ago, James Dobson wrote a book called Parenting is Not for Cowards. No sissies in parenting. Because it's tough being a parent and it's a difficult and it's a demanding job. I've just been talking to my daughter this week who's just getting through the first few weeks of having a brand new child. And just about the time you get experienced with these kids, and I, we, excuse me, have had four, not I, we have had four children. Just about the time you get experienced, your kids are out the door. That's how it seems anyway to me. And many of you will go, uh-huh, I know what you mean. So you don't just learn how to be a good parent overnight. It's a process. Now, there are many confusing voices in this world today that you're going to hear. Many different opinions as to how to be a good parent. Many different ones. One guy I know had five theories and no children. Then he had four kids and no theories. Where do you go for help when you need help? Where do you look to? Who do you look to when you need good advice on good parenting? And who is our model anyway? Who should it be? So there is only one great parent, one stunningly good parent that I know of who has been perfect throughout history, and that's our Heavenly Father. In fact, the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. That's what it says. So God is the model parent. And I think sometimes that people that I hear complicate parenting way too much. You can be a great parent and there's a simple secret to that. Treat your kids the way God treats you. That's it. The simple secret. You treat your kids the way God treats you. And we're going to look at that today. And today I want to look at what is God like overall and then draw implications, therefore, about the parenting task. So quickly, in the first place, if I'm going to be like my Heavenly Father, I must learn to understand my kids. I must learn to understand them. The Bible says here in Psalm 103, verse 13, as a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows the way, excuse me, how we are formed. Circle the word formed, knows and formed. God knows what makes you and I tick. He understands us. He's aware of our makeup, our different personalities and our quirks. And because He understands us, He can parent us in the right way. And if I'm going to be a good parent, I must learn to understand my kids individually. Individually. They don't all, even though they're the same piece in the same pod, they're all very different. I'm sure you've noticed that. So the Bible says here, 
Actually, so let's finish this up. Teenagers often tell their friends, I hear them in the, all around the place, often this common sentiment, my parents don't understand me. Anybody else heard that? Oh yeah, my parents don't understand me. But the Bible says for us who are believers, the Bible says homes are built on the foundation. You build a home, a strong home that lasts on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. Understanding, that's an important point there. A home of understanding. So what we need to know is what makes them the way that they are. Every child is, has a unique bent. Every one of them. If you have four, you'll have four different personalities, of course, unique temperaments. And if you have more than one child, then you know they're as different as night and day. They're, even though from the same family. You can't even motivate them all in the same way. They don't all have the same strengths or the same weaknesses or even the same interests. If they're shy, don't try to make them boisterous. And if they're boisterous, don't try to make them shy. You understand how God has made them. And it's a mistake to try and make them all fit into the same mould because everyone is different. We need to understand that. I find a lot of parents just try to stick them all in the same bucket. And a woodworker always works with the grain, not against it. If you do it against it, it's going to be hard and painful. And good parents understand that each child has a slightly different grain. And we need to recognise the different potentials of each of our children, each of our kids, because the abilities they have and encourage them in the direction that they're naturally inclined to go. And if your child loves maths and hates art, you know, if, you, if, if, if your child loves maths and hates art, don't send them to Elam. That's a school of fine arts, okay? And if they're a massive artist, and don't try and force them because you're an engineer into going to the Auckland School of Engineering. Over the teenage years, many discussions need to be had from this size all the way through about where they're going. Just personally, over the last three or four years, I have run into parent after parent who the kid gets to the end of high school and stop, what am I going to do? Oh, I have no clue. And the conversations haven't been had, which should have need to be had for the last few years. And then they are, they, are, they are just stopped in their tracks. They're confused. They don't know where to go. Have the discussions, parent. It is your responsibility to work with your children and your grandchildren back here. Don't let them get to the end of the college. And then, well, I've got no clue as what's going on. So, one of your proofs of understanding um, is this, Proverbs 14, 29. A man of understanding has patience, has patience. The proof that you understand your children is that you are patient with them. There it is right there, 14, 29. Recognise that each child is a wonderful blessing from God with different gifts, different talent that He gave them. So and secondly, if I'm going to be like my heavenly Father, I must accept my children, really accept them. God wants you to accept your children just the way they are. You and I aren't perfect, are we? Yet God accepts us as we are. That's called grace. So we need to accept our children because you know what? I've noticed that sometimes us parents have a tendency to reject our children if they don't dress the way we want them to dress or behave the way we want them to behave or if we don't look the way we want them to look or when they don't meet our standards, as if we 
are the standard. The Bible says children are a gift from God. Have you accepted that gift with gratefulness and gratitude? See, God chose the kids that He gave you and He used your genes and your wife's genes and He put them together to make your children. He put them in your family and He chose you for them. You didn't choose them. He gave them to you. The Bible says in Romans 15, 7, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. That's an incri- that's showing you how. Well, how should they accept? Just the way Jesus accepted them. So God has sovereignly custom designed your children and He put them in your family. And you need to accept them as a gift from God and not try to make them into a mini you. Basically make them like yourself. And we need to affirm their uniqueness. Their uniqueness. But we tend to send signals out to them as parents that say, you need to be just like me. You need to be interested in the things I was interested in. You need to do as good at school as I did. You need to be as athletic as I was. Or even worse, you need to be better than me, than I was. You need to be more athletic than I was. And what that's really saying to that kid is if, is I want, if I want to be accepted by my dad, if I wanted to be accepted by my mum, I can't be myself. If I want to be accepted by mum and dad, I can't be myself. And that's sad. Because the only way is that some people get acceptance in their house is by performance. In other words, I'm going to be like my parents to be accepted. That's heartbreaking. So if I'm going to be like my Heavenly Father, I need to understand my children the way they made. I need to accept my children. Third, I must discipline my children. <laughs> Hebrews twelve sixteen says this, the Lord, this is how He does with us, the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. That's a fact. It's a sign of God's love when you're disciplined by God. And the Bible says, if I do not discipline my kids, then two things are true. Number one, It says, I proves I don't really love my kids. That's what the Bible says. Here it is, Proverbs 13, 24. If you refuse to discipline your son, it proves you don't love him. There it is. Boom. Some of you need to cut that verse out and highlight it and stick it in your refrigerator to remind you it is a sign of love. Second, now if I let him get away with anything, notice I say him, because the girls are really good, right? (laughs) Right. If, if I let them get away with anything, it shows I really don't care enough to correct. You need to care enough to correct. Where does it say that? And actually, it shows that I'm participating in their destruction. Well, look at this, Proverbs 19.18. Discipline your children while they are young enough to learn. Mm. If you don't, if you don't what? If you don't discipline them, what are you doing, the Bible says? You're helping them to destroy themselves. What parent in their right mind would ever want to destroy their own kid? Now, granted, it takes energy. I'll give you that. But the Bible says, be careful. Don't slack off on that one. Don't let things slide. Friday night, you're knackered. Is that the right word? Well, you know what I mean. You're tired. It's important that you understand the difference, though, between discipline and punishment. Stay focused. Discipline and punishment. God never punishes His children, the Bible says. He disciplines them, right? So all punishment for your sins was taken by who? 
Jesus on the cross. I'm glad you're on that one, mum. On the cross. Why would God punish Jesus Christ? Let him take all the punishment on the cross and then come back after you to say, you're going to take it also. Uh, there's a legal term for that. It's called double jeopardy. Okay? All the punishment for every wrong that you'll ever carry out or your kids will do has been already taken for on the cross. That's why the Bible says this. There is now no condemnation, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, God does not punish His children because Jesus has taken that, but He does discipline them. And this is a nuance that many people miss. What is the difference between punishment and discipline? The purpose of punishment is to inflict penalty. I want to penalise you for what you've done wrong. And it's always backward looking. The purpose of discipline is to promote growth. I want to correct you. I want to train you to make you a better person. The focus on the other hand of punishment is on the past. The focus on discipline is on the future. The attitude of the parent in punishment is often anger. Anger. We punish out of angry. I am angry, so I'm going to punish you. That's what the normal attitude is. The motivation on the other hand of discipline is love. I want you to make it in this world. See the difference in attitude? Big difference. Anger, the parents lost it already. And the Bible says that God punishes the wicked who reject Him, but He disciplines His own children. So when you discipline, you don't discipline in anger. You discipline in love. And what's the result? The result of punishment is always fear and guilt and more anger. The result of discipline is security. I feel secure because I know there are boundaries in my life that I don't go over. Boundaries. Now, how can you know when you're punishing? How can you know when you're disciplining? Well, one way I know through painful experience is to look at the child's reaction. Ask yourself, is this kid trembling and afraid of me right now? Because the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, there is no fear in love, but perfectly it drives out. Perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. That's why Christians don't have to be afraid of God because He never punishes. We don't fear God, we love God because Christ takes now punishment. He disciplines us for our own good, not to punish us or in anger. Now, one of the reasons I have noticed, not all, but one of the reasons Christian kids who grow up in Christian homes reject their parents' faith, just one of them, is they weren't disciplined in love. They were punished in anger. Some overzealous Pharisee who probably meant well not saying didn't mean well, but the way it was executed, they were done in anger. And as a result, that kid, oh, they conformed. They were quivering. And they conformed, but that's outwardly. But inwardly, they are full of resentment and anger and bitterness, and they were still standing up inside. And the fear and the guilt boils out someday and it explodes. So can I encourage you to discipline your children, your grandchildren the way God does? God is gracious, isn't He? When He disciplines us. He's gentle with you. He finds, a, he, he corrects you without condemning you. If 
you or I got what we deserved, none of us will be here. God gives us what we need, not what we deserve. So how do you discipline? Quickly on this one. Out again, a good old guy, James Dobson. He's got a great book on this. It's called Dare to Discipline. Dare to Discipline. Very important today. Three words that describe discipline in the Bible. Three characteristics. This is not the whole picture. We haven't got time um, to go through that. But if you discipline your kids, at least do these three things. Just these three. Number one, do it calmly. Calmly. Not to relieve your friend. You wait till I get hold of you. Oh yeah, you've been there, Desmond, huh? <laughs> me too, don't worry. You and me in the same boat. Do it calmly. Calm down. <laughs> you might have to go in the loo and suck it up for a minute. <laughs> Calm down. Keep your head. You're not doing it to relieve your frustration, remember? That's anger. It's very easy to do. God says, don't do that. Don't discipline anger. Proverbs 29, 11 gives it clearly here. Real clear. A fool gives vent, full vent to his anger. Just lets it all go. That's a fool, the Bible says. Anytime you give full vent to your anger, you're a fool. Calm down. Otherwise, that kid's got you already. They've got you. And I've seen three-year-olds get their parents. It's foolish to discipline your kids in anger. You only end up hurting yourself and your family and the relationships in the long run. Ephesians 6 says this, careful, don't keep scolding and nagging your children. Making them angry and, what's the next word? Mm. Then what does it say? What's the next, what's the next three words? Right. Let's read that together. Let's read it from the top. Don't keep scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. There you go. The Bible, friends, is incredibly practical about every area of life. Number three and number two. When you discipline, discipline quickly. Don't delay. What's the famous line that comes out here? Wait till your father comes home, right? <laughs> On the other hand, discipline ought to be shared. No one person in the family ought to ever play the heavy. It's a shared role. And by the way, there's great wisdom in that. There's balance. Again, Proverbs 13, 24. If you refuse to discipline your son, it proves you don't love him. For if you love him, you will be what? Prompt. To discipline him. That's another version. I'm reading from the TLB. That's the NIV. Uh, uh, King James. Number three. This is very, very important. Discipline sparingly. Sparingly. Not all the time. And actually, there's a, there's a, a ju juxtaposition here. It says, basically it's this. The more, you'll get more effect if you don't do it all the time. And one of the ways you can just um, note, notice the tone in your voice when you're talking. Be aware of that. If it's ramping up or the volume is going up, you know you're losing control. Keep it down, keep the tone down and the volume down. Number three, as I said, discipline sparingly, not all the time. You'll get more effect if you don't do it all the time. Colossians 3 gets at this particular issue, principle. Fathers, don't scold your children so much that they become discouraged and quit. 
Okay, so don't do it so much. Now be careful too, because some of those little tykes are manipulators too. Oh, and the play the poor me scenario. You and mum have to figure that out where that balances. But the point is, don't do this too often. Number four, let's move on. I must express my love to my children. Now the Bible is full of great examples of God's love for you and I than the Father's love for His children. And every one of you, if you're a parent, love your kids dearly. Now what you need to do though, if you want to be a great parent, you need to learn to express love to them in a way that they understand, they get. And which is often very different. It's like the husband that says, I love my wife, I go to work, I provide for her, and I maintain the house. Uh, there's a bit more to that. That's good, but there's more to that. You know what I'm saying? In the same way, uh, three ways kids understand love. Specific ways that you and I can express love to our kids. Number one is through affection. Affection. Touching. Hugging. My kids are fanatics, even in their later lives, for back scratches. Somehow it just bonds. Gorillas that somewhere underneath that pile of bodies is my wife, whose arms are going like that to my two sons or whatever. <laughs> that, they love that still. And they're in their 20s. They still love that. If you didn't grow up in a family like that, you can learn that. The Bible says the Lord has compassion on all that He's made, He's very affectionate. In fact, studies have shown that fathers are around about one sixth as physically affectionate towards their kids as mothers are. Fathers, have courage to hug your kids and kiss them. And that's not just the girls. I kiss my boys. Bit tough. I've got to get a ladder to get some of them. But I still do it. Show affection. Show them that you care. When your kids come home, they can come home to hugs and kisses. A touch can re-energise a person, especially when they've been beaten up or uptight out in the world. So give a loving touch to some member of your family. Number two, so you show it through affection. Number two, through affirmation. The way we talk to one another. Very important. The Bible says this in Psalm 145 and verse 14, the Lord upholds, I love that, He upholds and He uplifts. See what He's doing? He upholds and He uplifts. This is the way God is to us. He lifts us up. From, he brings beauty from ashes. He always is lifting us up. We shape our kids by the way we talk to them every day and the tone in which we speak to them. It's the tone that makes the music. Do you talk down to your kids? Or do you affirm them and build them up and encourage them just like our Heavenly Father does to us? Now, one of the things I've always tried to teach my four kids is it's okay to fail. We have lots of lessons in success, right? But do we know how to fail? Because all our kids are gonna fail. And it's okay to fail as long as you try. No excuse for slacking around the joint ever. But I want my kids to take risks and to go for it in life. And unless they've learned it's okay to fail without this great intimidation and fear, but you don't be surprised if they don't take risks and big steps later on. So in order to teach people that they have, um, you need to teach them that not to fear failure. And if they do fail, which guess what? Like you and I, we do fail. 
that families are a team where kids can be loved and built up again. And the empty tanks of courage can be refilled. Teach them. Because what is say the, the safest place in the universe to fail is within your own family. Now, the third way you express love is through attention. And it's probably the number one way kids sense that they are loved. When was the last time that you sat down with your little whipster, either your little granddaughter or your little son or daughter, and eyeball to eyeball and looked him in the eye, not on the run, not on the run, and said something to this effect, if I had to do it all again, I'd still choose you as my child. And if I had the choice of any kid in the world, I'd still choose you. The Bible says in Psalm 145, 18, our Heavenly Father is near to us when we call upon Him. But today we have so many absentee fathers that are never around. In fact, Cornell University did the study, attached little microphones to these little uh, fellas, kids, and they monitored them for, for weeks. And they found that the average father spent on a per day basis talking directly to his child one-on-one, not in some disciplining method or correction, but just talking to them 37.7 seconds a day. Hmm. Now you compare that 37.7 seconds to the three and a half hours that the average Kiwi kid um, listens to TV. Question, where are those kids getting their values? 37.7 seconds? 3.5 hours, whatever that is, the last one now. Where are they getting their values? Where are your kids learning about God? In 37.7 seconds here? Or has it all been swamped with TV? The missing link in what's happening in so many families today is just this one issue. Time together. The missing with element. We're living separate lives. They're like different people living separate lives just happening to be bedding down under one roof, going a million directions. The traditional meal has been replaced by fast food. We used to talk years ago about the dinner hour. Since when have we spent an hour sitting around? It's more like 50 minutes. I'm going to be out of here. Got to get to this program. Got to get to there. There's a rush, rush, rush. And I often hear sometimes a phrase used by busy people regarding time with their kids is, oh, well, yeah, I know we don't have much time, but when we do, we have quality time. There's a theological word for that. Claptrap. That's a cop-out for overcommitted people. Your family is critically, critically important. You need to spend the time with them. And then there's the other extreme I want to point out, which I've also noticed in society today, and it's total preoccupation with their precocious little broods. (laughs) Everything is focused on the child. And then they go from ballet classes to tennis classes to reading classes to this to that. million different things. And the kids are the total centre of the universe. Now, any kid instinctively knows that they are not the centre of the universe where everything revolves around them. When everything does revolve around them, that will end up making them insecure. It is better that they find security in being part of a family unit where they belong, then the world will make sense. There's organisation. You can give too much attention and you can give not enough. Lord, where am I on that scale? Do I need to adjust something in my life at this point in time? And if I'm going to be like my Heavenly Father, I will give attention. I will give um, affirmation and I'll give affection. And I'll express it in ways that my child understands. And fifth and finally, 
I must be consistent with my children. Psalm 145, 17 says, The Lord is righteous in all His ways. Circle all. The word righteous means also fair. He's fair in all of His ways. And friends, you and I are teaching all the time. As, as, as uncles and aunts and grandparents and parents, we're always teaching. And if you have little children in your home, I've got news for you. Your home is bugged. 24 hours a day. You're never off the record. Ask any teacher. Well, last night, my mummy said to my daddy, <laughs> ask any Sunday school teacher. You're never off the record. They're watching you. They're watching what you say on the phone. I said a few weeks ago, the classic, you, say, you tell your kids, don't lie. The phone rings, ring, ring. Tell them I'm not here. <laughs> they are watching what you do. They're watching how you're listening there and yeah, you're having a conversation and you're texting away. I don't know why people go to restaurants and spend their life texting. Why do I waste that money? Stay home. <laughs> They're watching to see how you respond to your husband or your wife, the level, the tone, the way you have a disagreement. Is it possible to actually, they're learning, is it possible to actually disagree without being disagreeable, without screaming and shouting? They're watching that. You need to be consistent, not hypocritical, not jackal and hide. You don't come to church on Sunday singing, onward Christian soldiers. And then on, on Monday morning, you've gone AWOL. That's absent without leave from the army, okay? You're in God's army. Be consistent in that. Live a consistent life before your kids. Proverbs 20 verse 17, Living Bible says this. It is a wonderful heritage to have an honest father. Question, how do you demonstrate honesty? Taxes. Illegal downloads. Whatever it may be. How do you demonstrate? Because kids aren't stupid. Where did you get that movie, Dad? Uh, I found it. <laughs> Through Uncle Pat. <laughs> Here's the other thing too. Let, let me be real on this one. About honesty, don't imply that you're perfect. Don't imply you're perfect. Admit when you're wrong. You need to say sometimes to your children, I... I'm sorry, I was wrong. As much as that great some of us men, you've got to say that. You need to say to your children sometimes, I'm sorry. Pride goes before destruction, but before honour is humility. Number two, the way you demonstrate um, honesty is keep your promises. The Lord is faithful in all of His promises. He says it, you got it. You can take it home in the bank, done. He's a perfect parent. Little minds often can't distinguish this word maybe. Maybe. <laughs> they don't understand that. Maybe gets translated upwards, not downwards, upwards into expectations. Next minute, you're on the hook to something you never wanted to be. So be careful with your words. And don't be scared about saying no. Okay? Parents need to be able to do that and hold the line on no, not be nagged into because you give once, guess what's happening? Next time you say no, a bit more nagging and maybe you'll get mum across the line. So be careful. The last verse in the Old Testament, 
Did you know this? Malachi 4.6, the last thing God said in the Old Testament before Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament is uppermost in his mind. It says this, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. God wants reconciliation in a family. And this is what I would love to see in East Auckland, where children's hearts are towards dad and dads are towards their children and for mums. And no church is stronger than the families and no nation is stronger than the families in that nation. May today God's example of the way that he deals with us instruct us and grow healthy families at New Hope and in East Auckland. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? (coughs) With our eyes closed, I just want to talk to you fathers. Maybe you're feeling frustrated as a parent. Maybe things through your mind have gone like, well, my kids are just not going the way I'd like them to, to be going. Maybe you feel like a total failure in some areas. Friend, your heavenly Father is a forgiving God. Just admit your mistakes to Him and receive His forgiveness. Listen to His words today. Go back and go over that as outline. Whatever God has spoken to you, highlight them. He's speaking to you in the way that you parent. Say, God, I admit it. I haven't been the father I ought to be, nor that I want to be. I admit it and I ask you to forgive me. Then you ask God to help you change. Maybe you need to plan a time of reconciliation with one or more of your children. I haven't done what I ought to. But I do want to be the spiritual leader in this home. God's told me to do that and be that. And I haven't been focused on that responsibility. I've been too concerned about other things. Some of you here today are new fathers and you're scared to death. Friend, it's not that complicated. Just remember this. Treat my kids the way God treats me and you'll do okay. Now to teenagers, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I, I want to tell you something that you already know. Your dad is not perfect. You know that. He knows that. And God knows that. And neither is your mother. But they are God's gift to you. He chose them by using their DNA to make you custom. For some reason, God chose them to bring you into the world. So the Bible says you are to honour them for that. Because if it wasn't for them, you wouldn't be here. It's one of those top 10 commandments. Honour your father and your mother. And there's a promise with that. Maybe you need to be forgiving too. Maybe you realise that you're not perfect. And so you don't need to expect perfection from your parents. Maybe you would let God turn your heart to your father and your mother and let your father's and mother's heart be turned towards you. Now to those who haven't accepted Christ that are sitting here today, the Bible says you were created by God and you are His child 
And you can become a part of His family by receiving Him into your life, by making a faith decision where you say, Jesus Christ, please forgive me of my sin. I'm sorry for what I have done wrong. I, want to, I don't want to borrow. I want to turn from that stuff. Come into my life and put your spirit in my life. I want to become part of your family. Now, God loves you. And we've talked today not so much about parenting, but actually what God is like. He understands everything about you. And He accepts you just as you are because He made you. He disciplines you because He wants you to be better. He loves you. And through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, He has shown His affection. He's shown His affirmation of His love. And He's given attention to you. He can be trusted. He's put His body on the line. The Bible says that God is consistent. He's faithful and He's righteous in all His ways. You will not be disappointed. In order to be the kind of person you want to be, you need a spirit in your life. Would you say this morning, Jesus Christ, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Make me the person you want me to be. Come in now. Father, thank You for Your Word and thank You that You are the perfect Father that we can look to as our perfect model. In Jesus' powerful and precious Name and all the people said, Amen. Today, if you have committed your life to Christ or you want to take that step of faith or that decision, on that communication card, which we're all going to just pop in the offering buckets in a few moments, just on the back of that, check I'm committing my life to Christ or I'd like to know more about giving my life to Christ and one other thing could I ask you all to pull out your communication cards because we, we need your help could you just pull the communication cards out a sec could you please update your emails and your phone numbers because some of them have gone a little squirrely on us <laughs> recently and we would really appreciate one other thing could I ask you also if you do have uh, your communication by you there and a pen could you also do me one other favour? Could you please write the name of the company that you are currently working for? That would be great. God bless you. Thanks so much.